My name is Bonnie Landry. I'd like to welcome you to my podcast with my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, where we explore the questions about homeschooling and family life and how we can make joy normal. Uh, good evening, John Paul. How are you? Fine, Bonnie. How are you? I'm doing really well. I just want to introduce people or reintroduce people to John Paul Meenan. Welcome, John Paul, back to the show. We've had John Paul on once before. We talked about grace, and it was a it was a great episode. I had a lot of really great feedback and comments from people about our discussion on grace. Uh, John Paul is a professor at Seed of Wisdom College in Ontario, a small uh, Catholic liberal arts college. He's also the editor of Catholic Insight, an online magazine. Catholic Insight seeks to enlighten hearts and minds by proclaiming the splendor of truth and the sanctity of life. So that says a lot about you right there (laughs) and who you are. We're going to address the question of discernment and I'll get into the details of that in a moment. But I just want to ask you if there's anything exciting that you're presently working on that might be of interest to our listeners. Well, I just finished a piece for Catholic World Report on science, the limits of science, and discerning how science allies with our, you know, conscience, per se. Okay. And uh, the limits. Like, you know, people Is say, it published? Yeah, it's published. And, okay. And if you go cool. to the article, you can see this discussion in the comments section that I, I like to engage with readers. And there's an intelligent reader who... who you know, we got into a bit of a uh, give and take, and he's obviously mm-hmm. different. He has a different opinion from what I would have, but it's very. In one, even though it's we differ, it's it's pleasant to see someone who's willing to give their other side in a rational, gracious manner that uh, mm-hmm. allows. That for means a lot. Dialogue. It does mean a lot. Like there's dialogue, and I wish yeah. there was more. There were more of that. There was there was more of that, in our world where we could, at least discuss our common principles and how to apply them and that mm-hmm. way we, we seek common ground and if we disagree well then hopefully we can still co- you know live together in, in some degree of uh, of of peace yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's an interesting thing because we we i mean social media brings out the worst in people we all yeah. we all see that and there's there's a place for it but uh it's it's this anonymity has brought out the worst in mankind Mm -hmm. where discussions so quickly just instantly almost spiral into mudslinging and unkindness and we're you know would we speak that way to somebody if we were in person maybe our culture has disintegrated to the degree that that we we would use the same language I, i don't think so though i think we still have something we're hanging on to and uh it's a beautiful thing to see honest differing opinions being shared and explored right yes yes it's part of what Benedict XVI talks about in his 2006 Regensburg address which I recommend all the listeners read it's not very long but it's a, it's a very pivotal document where he advocates that those of other religions particularly Islam and others that they we, we, we at least agree on principles of reason and mm-hmm. natural law that uh without which society can't exist. And we, we maintain like fundamental human rights as a society we've agreed upon in previous, even even secular documents, United Nations, Geneva Convention. And that provides a, a groundwork, a basis for discussing more, let's say, controversial topics, or at least ones that enter into the realm of our own personal faith, which is, you know, we may not share the same faith, but... It, it at least provides that basis for dialoguing and seeing, yeah, where the truth resides. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, understanding yeah. others better. Okay, I will link that article then and um, this document as well. Was it an address he gave uh, verbally? And now it's it's you yes. can see it written. Okay. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. It's it was very when it's day it created a lot of controversy because much of the Islamic world did not respond kindly to it, especially over opening paragraph because mm-hmm. he alludes to a previous conversation in the Middle Ages between an emperor and. and a grand imam or something. He's just using that as an example to, to say what we shouldn't do. Right. And then we go to what we should do, right? Sometimes pointing out what we shouldn't do is taken as what we, you know, happens in class sometimes when I'll give them examples. Like I'll talk about movies or films or books and, and they'll take it like I'm advocating. I was going, no, 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 no. So I've made a very strict point that I'm not recommending these films or movies or books or whatever. I'm just using them as... <laughs> Cases and points of things that you might want to be careful about. Yes. <laughs> yes. That actually plays into one of our questions. Uh, but I'll, I sh- maybe should start with some more really basic questions. Sure, yeah. I want to talk about discernment. Okay. And mm-hmm. not so much. I mean, as Catholics, we, we reference vocational discernment, which is a whole other topic unto itself. But what I really want mm-hmm. to talk about is discernment in life decisions beyond mm-hmm. vocational discernment or or in support of vocational choices. You know, essentially, I think I'm talking mm-hmm. about thoughtful decision-making. How do we proceed with that? How do we discern what mm-hmm. is our next step as a human being? And I think that, first of all, could we start there? Could a distinction between vocational discernment and the discernment of the choices that we make in life? Well, well the two are not unconnected. Like, I know, I, I, yeah. I'm reminded of Christ's adage that he who is faithful in little things will be faithful in big things. And part of the way we discern our vocation, especially when we're young, and I recommend this to students who I advocate it, that, that living in, in God's will in little things allows you or will lead you to God's will in big things. Mm-hmm. Like it's not as though, as one priest said to me many years ago, God's not going to turn the sky tartan for you. I guess referencing my Scottish. <laughs> Uh, birth, right? <laughs> so that's not the way it happens. Like we, we don't seek big signs like that. So in little things, and 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 as Thomas More, I love one of the quotations from Thomas More is, but it is by the tangle of our wits that we make our way to heaven. Mm. And God gave us a reason, Beautiful. like our reason, and then uh, our faith and our discernment builds upon our reason. So the old scholastic adage or dictum is: grace builds on nature. So we begin with with the Catechism as a beautiful description of conscience that is derived from St. Thomas Aquinas and the tradition of the Church. And it's by conscience that we discern all the little things in life, all the daily decisions, what to do and what not to do. And, and those build up into habits, and those habits form who we are. And then who we are in turn becomes who we are in the bigger picture as in our walk of life or our, our vocation. So I begin with conscience and just say every voluntary decision we make, however small, is an act of conscience. As the church teaches, that every concrete decision, mm-hmm. or small, is either to some small extent good or evil. Now, I don't make a big thing of this. I'm not saying good or evil in a big, huge, you know, mortal sin sense or whatever. It's only that it'll lead us either a bit closer to God or deviate us a little bit away from God. But that can be very 
as I said, just be very, very mm-hmm. small things that we discern. The the key is to purify our discernment. I and mean, I can talk about that in a moment, what, what that means even at the natural level and, and then go on to the into the the supernatural. So I think that just to sort of qualify all of this for the listeners here is that at every stage of life, we're faced with decisions that we need to make and always small decisions every day. Do I buy this thing? Do I, you know, go out for dinner? Do I, whatever. We have lots of little decisions every day, dozens of them. But when we're young, we're faced with things like, what college do I want to go to? Uh, do I want to take this new job? I have I finished college. I have some career mm-hmm. options ahead of me. What do I want to pursue? Mm-hmm. Right? What will bring me the greatest happiness or the greatest satisfaction or draw me closer to God or whatever? We have we have those. When you have a young family, which is my you know most of my listeners, young families, do I homeschool or do I send my kids to school? Uh, is it the right time to invest in a home? Do, is it the right time to have another child? Can I be open to that right now? How do I prioritize where my money goes, where my time goes, where my energy goes? And then at my age, we have things like, okay, I have X amount of years left, an unknown amount of years left in my life. I have a lot more free time now. How do I spend that time? It's interesting because it's sort of this empty nest syndrome. You suddenly you suddenly go through this shift again. You feel a little bit like a teenager in the sense that the next however long I have, 10, 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. however long I have, I have some decisions to make about how I spend my time. For the last 30 years, I've been raising my family. That's what I do. <laughs> Right. And then suddenly that the challenge of that, the energy from that, the time from that eases up as they reach adulthood. And then you, you know, have this free time again. So what what good can I do? How am I going to spend my time? So the questions change over the years, but we're always faced with discernment. We always are. And see, most of life after a certain age becomes governed by habit. Custom. And we do... Most things we don't think deeply about. We just live in, in how we formed ourselves in our childhood and our youth. That's why, you know, JP2 emphasizes he has a, a letter to youth in 1984, the Lectia Michi. And I give it to my students in, the, in my, my class because I think it was for, you know, way back when he was only six years in, in the papacy. It's, it's a wonderful meditation for, on, for young people on how right. they're meant to discern. And then you carry that discernment because what we are in youth, we're going to be as adults. It's more difficult to change oneself in middle age. Not impossible, but still more difficult. Like it's like a tree that's grown, right? And and now the grace of God can do miracles. Mm-hmm. I don't deny that. But remember, grace builds on nature. So I'll give, just for listeners, just to go back to conscience. So let's take, I like to think of things in the small and then we can transfer them to the big. Because the small gives us the, the scale in which we can think of them. So when we think of the economy, you can think of the economy in the big, big sense. But then the economy in the big, big sense really derives from the economy in the small sense. And oikonomia in Greek means household. And so how households are run in a society is how the society is going to be run. Like it flows in the same thing in society. It's going to be how individuals are in society is how society will be. It flows from how how the persons live and how the persons live will be based on their individual decisions. And that goes back to the, to, to the small thing. So with conscience, you'll just give the list the, the, what St. Thomas says and what's in the catechism, that any moral decision, there's three criteria. We first look at the object, like what kind of act is it? And the, the one thing we've discerned of the object, first and foremost, was G, John Paul II wrote an encyclical on the moral life called Veritatis Splendor, 1993. 
the Splendor of Truth. Uh, recommended. It's, it, it's 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 a bit long, but it's very beautiful and very very important. Uh, some theologians have said it's probably one of the most important things JP two wrote. Uh, and he says that you look at the object. The first thing we discern is is the object intrinsically evil. Now that may not pertain to many of our listeners, but to the broader public, it's an important thing because can this kind of act, the object is the kind of act that it is, can it be offered to God? Some things can't be. Most things are morally neutral in the abstract. I say, can you be a Catholic full-time surfer? I go, and students go, well, I don't know. Go, yes, you can, right? You can be a Catholic full-time anything, as long as you can order it to God, right? So it doesn't matter. So what you do with the kind of acts that you do, it's it's open open season. You just choose. You just have to avoid those few things that are intrinsically evil. Now, the second thing we put into the sermon is the intention, why we're doing it. What good are we seeking in it? And so St. Thomas says we always seek moral in our moral decisions, sub specie boni, under the appearance of good. Now, the key is, as JP2 said, the splendor of truth, it has to be a true good. Will this good make me a better person? Because the ultimate purpose of the moral life is not the good that we do or the evil we avoid. It's how the actions we choose to do or not to do shape us. As the book of Sirach says, we're left in the hand of our own counsel. And John Paul II says that we're, God left us as free beings in his image. Right. And the primary thing we create in life is ourselves through the moral decisions. It's, we are a work of art that we create with the grace of God. So that intention is perhaps one of the most important things. Why are we doing it? Uh, and obviously it should be guided by, by justice and then more so by charity, by the love that we show to others, by willing the true good for them. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing, in, in, so object, intention, and then circumstances. And those are all the things that surround the act, like how much, how little, right. uh, the time. So all all the, the, the characteristics of the act that would make it better or worse, per se. In whatever stage of life we're in, and we're, we're using our time, which is all we've got. We're, we have, As you said a few moments ago, we're given a certain span of life. We don't know how long. We ask to give a, a reckoning for that, how we used our time, our gifts, our talents. So when we're discerning this, we say, yeah, we use them well. I, I want to just sort of flesh out this this process. Okay, this is where we start and this is where we go. So let's take a something that our listeners would be uh, would be kind of in the middle of perhaps in their lives, like mm-hmm. is it the right time to have another child or should is it the right time to invest in a, a home? How might that look in terms of that process? Mm-hmm. Well, you, you first look at the object. And obviously, none of those things are, are intrinsically evil. So most things your listeners will be discerning will not be intrinsically evil. So if I were giving this talk to like the CBC and I had right. a chance to go, on, I'd be like all over the evil thing, right? Just be like, you guys got to listen to me. Uh, My listeners are very no, good. They're, they're good. So most things they're discerning would be in the abstract, morally neutral. There's no such mm-hmm. thing as an intrinsically good act. Because anything good right. can always be colored by intention or circumstances. Most of the right. discernment of, of your listeners would be in the realm of intention and probably circumstances. Because usually their intention, mm-hmm. I would imagine, would be 
good and they can purify that with charity. Obviously, let's say you want to have another child or buy a home. Those are good things. You probably want something good for your family, more space, you know, a better location. You know, there's all these things going on in the world right now where you think, do we want to move? Do you want to go somewhere where we'd be more open to sacraments? Whatever it might be, you could discern that. They're all, they could be very good things. Yeah. So I'm just writing an article with this actually uh, for for Catholic Insight. In the third category in circumstances, probably the most the most important aspect for Catholics is in, in terms of circumstances is what we, is the proportionality of the act. And that is how much right. good will there be in the act? Will we, will we receive from the act and other people and how much quote unquote evil, I don't mean moral evil, but just uh, how much will we have to give up? So there's more than this physical evil. Physical evil is like, it is how much will we have to give up? One person I was listening to on a podcast recently mm-hmm. said, there are no such things as solutions in life. There's only trade-offs. Like if you marry one person, there's 3 billion right. people, other people you can't marry. So you're choosing one person and the 2 billion other people, well, tough luck for them and vice versa, <laughs> right? So you always, every time we choose something, there's another good we're not choosing and we're giving up. And that's where, where yeah. discernment comes in. So most of Catholic discernment is in the realm of proportionality. Now, proportionalism, proportionalism is what JP2 talks about, is where you ignore the object and intention and you go into some sort right. of Hobbesian calculation of just, we're going to maximize good, minimize evil, regardless of the object or whatever, what moral evils in the act. Like this is goes into war and whatnot. And for our purposes, it is, it is proportionality, which is a good thing, where you say you're balancing things. Can you define that for us? Just define proportionality so we know what you're talking about. You're weighing things. You're saying, you take, like sometimes right. you even a physical list. I'm sure you've done this in life where you say, okay, what, what are the benefits of homeschooling versus sending my children to a private school mm-hmm. down the road? So you've got the cost of the private mm-hmm. school. You've got, okay, I can go homeschool. But then you've got to do it back and forth. And you might say, okay, you've got to drive every day to the private to school. You don't have to drive for homeschooling. But then you've got to think, well, will my children respond to homeschooling? Will they... There's these things. Then you think about moving. Well, I, I asked my students a thought experiment because moving is a big thing now. I say, ponder the five reasons why you might want to live somewhere and put them in order. And for a Catholic, you might say, well, what's the top right. reason? Well, it might be something like faith, sacraments, and probably up at the top two is also family. Very important. I'm sure you as a mother and grandmother mm-hmm. would think, well, where do you want to live? to be near your children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And I know many of my students' parents and, and yeah. now even grandparents, whatever, where they think, you know, their children have moved around far across the country and the travel's becoming more difficult. You think, well, do you want to move? So this gets into the proportion thing. You're going to give certain things up. We'd add to that the the supernatural level. And I can go into that in a moment. Mm-hmm. So there's this natural discernment with the tangle of our wits and our reason. Right. So this is where in when we're talking about kind of on the natural level, when we're discerning, this is where something like a pros and cons list, really proportionality, when you put pen to paper is going to look like pros and cons. This is where we start, yes. we assess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. Because grace builds on nature. And, and here's the thing that moral discernment can go beyond reason, but it can't go against reason. Okay. 
Okay, so if 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 somebody discerns something obviously disordered, irrational, wrong, it's 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 probably not God. There's a famous passage in in Ignatius Saint Ignatius of Loyola's autobiography, a pilgrim's <laughs> journey. Right, so he, this is where he's convalescing, and he says this gets into the supernatural realm. And here he is, he's he's very worldly, he's injured, his, his leg's been severely injured, you probably know the story, and he's he's pondering his past life, but he's also been given mm-hmm. these spiritual books to read, mm-hmm. generally read, The Life of Christ and Saints' Lives, because they're the only thing in the house. So he's been forced by this, by dint of circumstances, he's going back and forth. And he says this, I'll just read you a little passage, because it's, it's very famous, and it, it, it says... He says, there was this difference between the worldly thoughts. When he thought of worldly matters, he found much delight. But after growing weary and dismissing them, he found that he was dry and unhappy. But when he thought of going barefoot to Jerusalem and eating nothing but herbs and of imitating the saints, he not only found consolation in his thoughts, but even after they had left him, he remained happy and joyful. So now this is obviously a more extreme version of probably most of your Listeners are not thinking of going barefoot to Jerusalem and, and preaching and wandering through the Holy Land. But the seed of his, his, his spiritual discernment in the, in, the, in the Ignatian exercises, which, which is beneficial even for more secular decisions, like, like moving or buying a house or having a child or homeschooling or not homeschooling, right. or whether to do this or even little things. And when you, especially in the bigger picture. So it goes back to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're not only locked in the realm of reason, right. we also have the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. But as St. Thomas says, the theological virtues are supernatural. Therefore, we don't hold them naturally. They're actually God-like virtues. And that's why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are dispositions by which we are made docile to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. And so we're moved like an instrument in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Have you read the book by uh, Father Jacques Philippe in the School of the Holy Spirit? I haven't read that one. I've read his other one. Like I've read some of Jacques Philippe. Mm-hmm. But, That's but a I, very, very beautiful book. Yeah, he's, he's a great modern writer. Like I think he <sighs> takes the tradition... And he puts it into a language that the modern world can uh, yeah. can appreciate. Because people may not go back and read like St. John Chrysostom or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. but they would read Father Jacques Philippe. And we need that mm-hmm. right in the church to have people who can translate the tradition into a language that is, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would encourage anybody who's in sort of uh, in a discernment mode or, I mean, we're all in discernment mode at all times, really. Uh, but Father Jacques Philippe, he helps you, he guides you as the reader to, to understand and be more receptive to the promptings of the Holy yes. Spirit. How do I put myself in that place so that I can become more aware, more receptive to the, the workings of the Holy Spirit in my own life? And that is such a gift for us to be just aware and sensitive to that movement in our life, yes. right? I think that's well. That's vital for for Catholics. It is because we can only go so far with reason. Mm-hmm. Saint Paul says in the first reading a few days ago, the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And and the Greek word for words is also the word for reason. Yeah. 
So logos in Greek, logos is, is means word, but also means reason. Like we get the word logic. Oh, really? So I'm just going to go back on something, something that you said a minute ago. You said, you know, we're working within the framework of reason. How do we know? And again, I understand that this as the habit is formed as a young person and as a youth of, of doing the good, of acting virtuously, of, of choosing well. But if that, say, has not been part of your life and you sort of reach young adulthood and you start thinking about uh, your relationship to God and your relationship to others and, and how your decisions might impact you or, or others around you, how do you know when you're outside of the framework of reason? Well, that's a that's a difficult thing. That's why I helped start the college all those years ago because I think people need the the, the foundation to some extent. However much they need it, but they yeah. how much of it they need, they do need it. Now, God can work outside of that. Like God can work in people's souls outside of you know what we might think is necessary. Like even even He can work outside the sacraments, right? So the sacraments aren't for God's sake, they're for our sake, and even education. So uh, back to St. Ignatius, when he underwent mm-hmm. his conversion, he knew basically nothing. He was a soldier, and he even admits, in the, he goes, I knew nothing, but God taught him. And he he went a great distance in a short time because he was so open to the, the Holy Spirit. So God can mm-hmm. leapfrog over. Now, we can't presume upon that, but it can work. Right, and so I would recommend that people, if they haven't had like the education in, in, to immerse themselves in, you know, mm-hmm. some degree in the tradition of the church and Thomas Aquinas and the fathers, and and at least delve into the catechism. Uh, look at the catechism, and get some basis. Like we we can't have a mind that's just you know, with no mm-hmm. knowledge of Catholic doctrine in it. It has to have some basis on which the Holy Spirit can plant his seeds. Right? and move us and he doesn't need a lot like God can work do a lot with a little and as long as we have the basic premises mm-hmm. uh, we can, God can work with that right. and uh, I say to people never despair never think that we're too old or too whatever it's like anything else as the old Chinese proverb has it the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago the second best time is now. So it's, there's no other in between. Mm-hmm. So you got to go, you got to go now. And I might have said that before, but it is something that sticks with me because we all have things in our life that say, oh, well, only we had, but you can do it now. And there's always a little bit, there's many podcasts out there. There's there's things you can listen to while you are doing laundry or cooking dinner and, and just get a little bit of knowledge. And then that knowledge can do that little seed can sprout and grow. And for busy parents, boy, audiobooks and podcasts are genius, you know. So we, if you have a couple that you'd like to recommend, even if you think on it, and we can just pop it in the show notes of things that would just help to form our consciences, right? We need more of that out there, like just basic, basic doctrine even. Done in a pleasant way that's a bit entertaining would be like not just read verbatim from the catechism, but something that could at least in, have some level of... Uh, of engagement well even like this you know just some discussion around really really basic ideas right it's just so important for us to hear this i know one of the comments that i had from a listener was after this was uh, it was so refreshing for me 
that you were surprised by some of the things John Paul said, like, oh, I didn't know that, but I don't, right? I wasn't raised Catholic. I didn't have any kind of formation. It's been, it's been a long, hard struggle, really, as an adult to form myself uh, and align myself more with God's will. As And, you know, it doesn't stop. It's not going to stop till the day I die. That's just the way it is. And so it's good for us to just explore those mm-hmm. things and be willing to explore those things. This is a thought that I had, is that I'm a... I'm a highly intuitive kind of person. I tend to operate, and this has worked well for for me most of the time, to operate on a very gut feeling level of things. And I don't know, is that a gift from God? Is that, but most of the things that I've decided if I really, okay, intuitively, not that I I think through it, I think about it, I I think about the consequences, but ultimately there's kind of a gut feeling that Mm -hmm. says, no, this is the right or the wrong thing to do. So where in the big picture, does does gut feeling come into that? Is gut feeling, could it be a prompting of the Holy Spirit? Well, that goes back to the discernment of spirits. Like, does it does it give mm-hmm. you that deep level of peace? Because as mm-hmm. Christ says, not as the world gives peace, do I give it. That's the worldly peace that St. Ignatius talks about. But that deep mm-hmm. level of peace. I mentioned another book your readers should read, well, a letter. And this is from uh, the Congregation Doctrine of the Faith from, I think, 1987, and it's called Some Aspects of Christian Meditation. Uh, it's under the tutelage ah. of, of Ratzinger, Colonel Ratzinger. Oh, and it's, nice. it's pro- it was published on October the 15th, 1980, might be 1989 or 87, uh, on the Feast of Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Avila, the Master mm. of Prayer. And mm. he warns of two extreme tendencies in prayer. And this can apply to discernment in general, because one of the main ways we should discern after we're done our reason or in the midst of doing our rational calculations, if you want to call it that, or proportionality, is prayer. And bring everything to prayer. Because as St. Teresa of Avila says, prayer is nothing else but conversation with God. And if we talk to God about our questions, he's going to give us the answer if we listen. But it's the still small voice. And I'll just give you the two extremes that that Colonel Ratzinger warns of. And the one he calls Messalianism. And this was an early heresy in the church that thought that the grace of God meant good feeling. So it's basically over-emotionalism in prayer. Mm. So it's like, oh, if it feels good, it is good. And if I have a warm, fuzzy feeling, this is the will of God. Not necessarily. Right. Right. (laughs) Sexuality explains that. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And the other extreme he calls pseudo-Gnosticism. And this is an over-reliance on technique Mm. and reason, where we think, oh, if I just do the perfect novena and I do all, check all the boxes and and do these little things, I can manipulate God and find out the thing to do. Now, this has applications to many things, also liturgy, right? Liturgy must be very structured, but we can't be over-obsessed by the structure Mm -hmm. and think that as long as I'm doing the right structure of liturgy, I'm holy. No, you would need also that entrance into the emotional and will, uh, the affective element as well. So the the, the virtue has elements of both, but not to either extreme. Right. So in discernment, there should be a good feeling, but that feeling is that deep peace that may actually involve some level of discomfort and suffering at the surface level. Mm-hmm. It may require sacrifice and some level of giving things up or, or 
it may come as a, a sense that God says to you, this is not your path. Mm-hmm. And it's happened to me a number of times in life where I thought, oh, this might be my path. And then something I wanted or was was pleased by, or, and then suddenly the door just closed. And you think, what's going on here? And I'm like, <laughs> hey, I God. This was God. <laughs> yeah, and you think, but then, but then you afterwards you realize that wasn't my path. Mm-hmm. So in a very secular way, you think of Garth Brooks, right? I thank God for unanswered prayers. Right. Now that's a very secular way of doing it, but it, it is it is uh, there is a truth to that. Yeah, where we we where I agree that the the good feeling, but the good feeling may be that deep peace mm-hmm. that is that what well, it is that deep peace. Discerning having another child is is very much comes into that. I think that that even though even though we may not feel ready for it, or even though we may think it's an unpopular thing to do, or we may think that okay, well, it might be a financial hardship, that there's this sense of it's just right. And in that rightness, you know, there's going to be a lot of sacrifice that comes with it, <laughs> and yet there can be such a rightness to the feeling, and it it contradicts logic in a sense right? contradicts a uh, practical thought but it doesn't it doesn't it goes beyond yes to get apocalyptic for a second <laughs> let's do that let's get apocalyptic <laughs> so the catechism says that the religion of the antichrist will be what's called the secular messianism and what that means mm-hmm. is is a salvation within the limits of this world alone now however that's manifested mm. we're not going to get into that right now all I say is, we take that back to our own discernment. We can't discern only in the horizon of this world alone. In terms of our money, our finances, our resources, our this, that, and other thing that's going to be, okay, we have a five-year plan. God doesn't care about five-year plans too much. As Aristotle says, virtue often does not reside in the middle. Right? He says it resides in the mean, but that doesn't mean the middle. So when you look at the virtue of courage... In the virtue right. of courage, the two vices are cowardice and recklessness on the extremes. But if I asked you, where do you think courage resides? Closer to cowardice or closer to recklessness? Closer to recklessness, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Closer, closer to recklessness. Yeah. It's, it's, on the, it's on the edge of recklessness. That's courage. And so generosity right. is on the, just on the edge of foolhardiness. And not on the edge of stinginess or are we going to husband everything and just hold everything to ourselves and think, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. It's on all the saints have been profligate in, in their generosity. And, and whatever vocation mm-hmm. we're in, God rewards great generosity. I think of the curate. Mm-hmm. So what I say to students, if you, whenever you follow vocation, give everything to it. Like the curate Dars would spend, well, think of him as a priest, 300 yeah. confessions a day. Like, without reserve. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, if he does that as a priest, what should parents do as parents? To be more generous than we think we might should be. And more generous than you think you're capable of sometimes. Yes, yeah. God always provides. The the bigness of heart, the generosity of spirit that we need to be in as parents or as human beings. We reap the benefit of that tenfold to be generous of spirit that's a beautiful thing what you give as a human being can be so incredibly rewarding if you're not hanging on to some sort of 
desire to, okay, well, I, I, this is taking too much out of me, or I'm being called on too much, or, or I need to reserve some for myself. Sometimes we just can surrender to that life, all the sacrifices that we make, life just becomes so much more joyful. Yeah, this is one of the many paradoxes of the Christian life. And J.K. Chesterton mm-hmm. goes on about these, right, about, and but ultimately it goes back to Christ, the key who gives himself will find mm-hmm. himself. And mm-hmm. the irony or the paradox is that the more we give, we think we're going to lose it all, we're giving it back yeah. a hundredfold. And it, it's, it's uh, mm-hmm. even in this life is crisis. As yeah. You say, like, uh, so the this idea of gut feeling that I brought up sort of spurred this part of the conversation. So so when we when we experience gut feeling about something, do we kind of just need to sit with that then to see if it's that deep peace gut well, feeling and not just a temporary like oh I'm going to be more comfortable if I do this. <laughs> that depends a lot on circumstances, like and how big right. it is. Like the big decisions we should probably pray about and discern. Mm-hmm. I mean. But then there are certain things like Saint Faustina, Helena Kowalska, she was at a dance party, you know, whatever, probably doing Chopin waltzes with handsome Polish men, whatever. And suddenly Christ <laughs> appeared to her and said, you're called to religious life. And she left the dance that night with just what she had, got on a bus, went 40 miles away and showed up at the comment. Now, that's obviously extreme. But mm-hmm. for most of the time, we, we would discern that. But then in little things, like if I'm walking, you know, walking on the street, you think, I'm supposed to go talk to this person. Or I'm supposed mm-hmm. to give my time to this person. Or I'm supposed to walk down this street and see this person. That's just, you just do that. And oftentimes God, it's happened many times in my life, you just kind of walk down and you think, well, I'm going to walk this way. And then, because you're just inspired to, and you meet mm-hmm. someone you wouldn't have met. Or something happens to you, mm-hmm. or you think, "Am I going to go over here after school and go and think and give my time to the students or whatever?" And oftentimes things will unfold from that you never expected. So I would say, yeah. in the little things, just follow the Holy Spirit. Don't overthink it. Just go. If it's not mm-hmm. an evil thing, just do it. I mean, that's the yes. Nike motto, but it's also the Christian motto, right? <laughs> Why let them have the good just mottos? Do just it. do it. Uh, yeah, just and, and JP two says at some point, even at a vocational sermon, you have to just go for it. Like, you yeah. can't over discern. Things. Yeah, God is not going to allow you no. to make a big mistake if you're so. prayerful, right? I don't think, no, I don't. No, I, 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 agree. I, I totally think that. And you know, I think I mentioned I've mentioned the last podcast or whatever, but the difference between a maze and a labyrinth. Like I love that difference mm-hmm. where where the maze has dead ends, but a labyrinth mm-hmm. doesn't. So in the labyrinth, right. if you keep going forward, you'll always get to the middle. So even if we've made right. a wrong decision, whatever, you think, oh, Miss Button, God will bring that around back to the good. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that the more we listen to the Holy Spirit, the more we're praying, the more you won't make the wrong decisions. You'll just, you'll just be led in the right path. Mm-hmm. All the saints were. It's yeah. so true. One of the things we found with uh, COVID is that that over the last, you know, almost two years now, that our prayer life has really blossomed mm-hmm. as a as a family. I mean, there's only the three of us here at home now, but as a couple and as a family, that that it just gave us more time to pray together, and we feel that the that the growth we've experienced and the peace we've experienced through that has been pretty phenomenal, and we think, wow, you know, that's that that was something I would encourage people very young to really mm-hmm. work on your prayer life, especially as a family, right? 
Yes. I... And spend the time. We always prayed as a family, but it just seems like, I don't know, something really blossomed, especially with the Liturgy of the Hours. That was that seems to have really uh, helped our prayer life to blossom. Yeah, there's, there's, there's the formal prayers, but Liturgy, Mass, mm-hmm. the Rosary. Um, but there's also, mm-hmm. saints have often advocated little prayers during the day. Mm-hmm. Even if you, in that split second, you decided to do something, just say a little tiny prayer to the Holy Spirit, to the Virgin Mary, to Christ, whatever, mm-hmm. to a saint, and, and just say what I'm supposed to do. And it might take one second. And yeah. that one second, just go and nudge you the right way. Because mm-hmm. as, as JP2 says, he, he says that the Holy Spirit moves as forty ter suavi ter, strongly but sweetly. <laughs> Right. So he nudges us. He doesn't want to force us. He just sounds like parenting. Oh, it is. <laughs> well, that's it. God's our father. So it's forcefully yes. but sweetly. Yeah, you're doing yes, this. We're going. I, actually, we're going here yes. now. Well, I love it. that. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, Lydia asked me something that you know. We were, I was asking her. You know, some questions about discernment. Let's let's sort of. Uh, I want to bring these to John Paul, and so she said, "Okay, well, what what do we do?" And I think this could be expressed both about little things and about bigger things, and even about vocational discernment. What would we do while we're waiting for God's guidance? So say that's little things. Like, should I buy a house right now? Okay, well, that takes time. Right, that takes time to buy a house. So, so what do I do while I'm waiting for God to make it clear to me, or for to me to discern what my next move is? What do I do in the meantime? What do I, if I believe I have a religious vocation, what do I do while I'm waiting? Because there is always a waiting period, even in little things, there can often be a waiting period. Well, yeah, it depends on your state in life. I mean, so the basic. The basic advice in the church is, is to do the duty of the moment, the duty of your state in life. Now, if if so, most of us as adults have have a state of life, and there's just duties that pertain to that, and we just do them. Now, if we are not in a state of life, if you're if you're waiting, and you're just waiting for God to reveal something to you, and He reveals it to you, then I would say just then just mm-hmm. go do that thing. Don't overthink so it. If someone's young and they're in between things, and God says, okay, go do this or go do that, then just go do it. Like The advice is, mm-hmm. don't wait. No, don't wait upon a vocation. Like, so that's one of the, I think it's one of the errors of modern discernment is that many people will say, oh, give it four years or go do this or go do that and, and, and then come back in, in, in four years and I would say, unless there's real reason to wait those four years, don't wait those four years. Yeah, the discernment of of the married life is the same thing. I think there's just a lot of dragging it out, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait too long. Don't wait too long. No. And I know many women who are frustrated by men who just wait, 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 wait. And then it just, the problem is, is that God gives a window for our vocations, like those sci- sci-fi movies where the window opens up into another dimension and it's closing up, right? And you think, if you don't get through that window, it might not be there mm-hmm. in two mm-hmm. years, or 20 minutes. It's just like, you know, yeah. Or am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I marrying the right person? And yeah, of course there's some, some, there's some non-negotiables that should be in place when you choose to marry or some non-negotiables that should be in place when you, when you buy a house, you should have enough money, you should have a down payment, all the, you know, the things. But, uh, when those things are in place, uh, you know, just, just get off the pot. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's it's very true. And I think it's one of the, uh, like the virtue of mm-hmm. uh, courage and, and magnanimity where we were able to do yeah. the thing we're meant to do with, like there's, there's another saying that says, much of your life can depend on 20 mm. seconds of courage. And that God gives that window. So am I going to mm-hmm. step across this threshold? Remember Caesar's thing, Alia Yakta S, the die is cast. Like when he crossed the Rubicon, that was it. Mm-hmm. Now that's Caesar. But we all have our Caesar moments where we think. Yeah. When you think about like when you're diving into some water, you know, that water's cold and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this water's going to be really cold. You wait, you just, just wait. And so everybody's having fun in the water and you're not because you had that moment where you no, ah, it's just going to be too cold. It's going to be too uncomfortable for 20 seconds. <laughs> but a lot of life is like that, right? Okay, what if I just walk up and talk to this person? What yeah. if I just fill out this college application? You know, what what's what could come from that? But not doing something really uh, hampers us. Well, Christ warns about not doing something, right? His One of his, it's, it's, it's odd to me in one sense, that much of Christ's condemnations in the Gospels are for sins of omission. Not for commission, where we don't do what we're meant to do. Like it, it's almost better to be a bold yeah. sinner than a lukewarm yeah. person who doesn't do anything. Because at least the bold sinner has energy and can be converted, like yeah. Saint Augustine, to the good. Or if our life is just tapioca pudding, and there's, <laughs> there's nothing to it, you you, it's very difficult to convert a bowl of tapioca pudding. Like it's just it's just mush. It's just there. It's just there. And, and God doesn't want things that are just there. He made us to be in his image, right? Christ was bold. Like this has to be a sense where we go forth and just do something. Even if we don't know The tapioca imagery is reminding me of this of this line in uh in To Kill a Mockingbird where Scout is talking about her aunt. She has this really annoying aunt, and she describes her as being cold and there. <laughs> Well, there that you go. Like, that were just, her attributes. No, <laughs> like you don't want, you know what we want. Life has to be lived. Mm. Has to be lived, and, and whatever. Now, okay, we may not make the best choice. I say there's only two people in we know in history who have always done God's perfect mm-hmm. will. Christ and early. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody else, maybe with few exceptions, who were given special graces, whatever. But generally speaking. Most of us take some sort of circuitous path. And it may be a really long way around where we go way drift over here, drift over there. But at least we're living. Mm-hmm. Like, at least do something. You just wait around. I say to my students, I say, don't wait till you're middle aged to choose your vocation. Like, don't wait till you're mm. 40, 50, whatever. It's just, no, no, no. There's a window. And, and that window, as again, goes back to that letter to youth. John Paul II says that it's, that window of youth is where God reveals your path to you. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that many mm-hmm. people don't listen. And mm-hmm. I, I feel sort of sad that many young people walk around with iPods in. They're always distracted by noise. Mm-hmm. Because in yeah. Elijah... We live in a noisy culture. Noisy, and, and Elijah mm-hmm. hears God's will in the still small voice. Mm-hmm. And the still small voice, the Hebrew phrase there can also mean silence. Mm-hmm. It's in the silence. And and so we need to carve out those moments of silence, prayer, in our life. Now, it doesn't have to be always formal prayer, like a walk in the woods, a bike ride, mm-hmm. and, or, or 
going for a little whatever we do with our with our time, but something we'll a drive do. with no radio on radio or whatever. On. Whatever yeah. it is, we yeah. decide whatever your life leads you to. Is, um, yeah, like I would encourage moms too, especially you know you're sort of very weighed down, challenged by the you know bunch of small children or whatever. That your moments of silence do not need to be very long. They don't, no. you know. And so if you can think, okay, I just I'm just going to spend a minute just you know, taking a couple of deep breaths or I'm going to go out in the back porch and just get a little perspective here that those moments of silence when you're very busy in your vocation is, is really important and, and not does not need to be, you know, 20 minutes of contemplative prayer in the morning before the children wake up. You know, you don't have to be getting up at five in the morning to beat, beat the uh, toddler rush of people jumping out of bed at quarter to six. (laughs) That's something that I think it took me a long time to learn that, that I don't, I don't personally require a lot of silence and I didn't over the years because I, you know, very sanguine and comfortable with a lot of activity, but I would say that the older I got the, and the more children I had, the more important it was for me to take a little bit of time, even in my sanguineness and my comfort with the noise level and all of that. I had to pull back daily for just a couple of minutes a day, you know, pray a chaplet or um, spend a few moments just listening. It doesn't take very much. No, it doesn't. God, like we said earlier on, yeah. God can do a lot with a little, like the widow's two mites. So I wrote an article recently about... about um, Max Planck, his discovery of the smallest bits of matter, like the, the Planck length. So at the end of the article, he, there's a, I say, is there a spiritual equivalent to that? Well, it's kind of like St. Therese's little way, where, where we don't mm-hmm. mean a lot. And the building blocks of the spiritual life are, are little tiny things that we give to God, little moments of the mm-hmm. day that we can just give to God. Now, how much that is? Well, for, again, in your vocation, but uh, St. Mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila says, moms mm-hmm. have to find God in the pots and the pans, you know, and, and all the things of the also life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to share a little story with you because it was something that it was a tiny, tiny little thing, but it was really meaningful to me in my faith journey. Of course, I was raised a religious. I was raised by non-religious parents in a very non-religious culture. Faith came to me later in life. But I remember this event. There was several events of my life, most of them small things, but they, they stood out. But this one small thing really stood out to me as a a moment where I made a choice that affected me for the rest of my life. So I was just, I was in a shopping mall and I stopped at a little like a Purdy's chocolates, you know, um, they sell chocolates and nuts and whatever. And I was just getting a snack. I was working in the mall and I was just getting a little snack bag of nuts or something. I paid for it, you know, came to a dollar or something or whatever. And I gave the gal a $5 bill and she was young. She's probably about my age. I was probably 19 or 20. And she gave me change back and I was walking away. She gave me change back for a 20 instead of a five. Right. So I took a few steps away and, and my gut instinct and kind of how I had been kind of the environment I had been raised in was like, Oh, cool. I get a little bit back. I spend and spend and spend. And, you know, here I am getting a little bit back. Thought was spinning in my mind. And I thought, wait a minute. At the end of the day, that, that gal is probably going to have it taken out of her wages. Like this, that's not right. You know, that's not right for me to walk away with money that isn't mine. And, and so I went back and I, I said, you gave me the wrong change. I gave you a $5 bill and you gave me change for a 20. And she, you know, the relief on her face was, was palpable, but it wasn't about her. It was about my making a right decision, right? And from that po- point forward, I thought, okay, it's, it's not right 
I thought about many things that weren't right. Suddenly I had this sort of tweaking yes. of the conscience is that, okay, well, who, who decides what's right or not right? And, but this one little tiny movement of just returning the change to this gal suddenly made me think, okay, are there other things that I do that aren't right or are right? In, in, you know, this, this is a microcosm of, of discernment, right? I discern that, okay, it's not right to keep this money. I have to give the money back. Right? It doesn't matter if I believe in God or not. That was irrelevant. I don't know. It was just one of those little tiny things in life that I thought, okay. And the more you do that, and I think about this often with parents, when you speak kindly to your child when they're misbehaving, it's a win, right? So it's hard to do that. It's hard yes. to do that. But it's it's a win that in the big picture, you've discerned that you want to raise these children, you want to raise them in the faith. But on the day to day, it's hard to do that because you get grouchy and you're tired, <laughs> right? But if you... If you just do it once, just think, okay, I'm just going to be kind and firm. I'm going to kindly say this thing and direct this child instead of barking at them or whatever. And then you, it's like this little win. And that's how the, the money, giving the money back, it, was, it just felt like a win for God, you know? Okay, I did, I did something right here. <laughs> and it makes you feel like you want to do more right things. It's funny you sit, yeah, because I, I, I have this theory. Well, not theory. It's an application of a dogma. And the dogma of the church is that everyone is given enough grace to go to heaven. Right? What we call, so everyone has sufficient grace to choose the path to heaven. God abandons no soul. Now, missionary work obviously corroborates that and develops it and brings greater, whatever, can save souls because it's more difficult mm -hmm. the further you are from the church and things. But, and I believe that that grace is manifested often in one one moment where we choose you call it a little thing but I think that was a big thing and I know other people and I have moments in my own life where I think somehow this little decision I was going to make I th there's a sense in me that I, I knew that would have deeper ramifications even though it was a small thing at the time that by making I, somehow in the in unformed conscience there was this sense you knew that by choosing this thing you were choosing one of two paths mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It felt that way. Yes. Yeah. And I think everybody has that. There's this hinge moment in mm -hmm. life where you're given this choice to make. Like in, 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 in the Man for All Seasons, Richard Rich is given that choice where he's mm -hmm. going to, is he going to betray Thomas More or not? And it's very dramatic in the movie. You think, here's his conscience. Mm -hmm. He can go with Thomas More and choose the path to heaven. Or he can choose the riches of this world for whales. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the and the, uh, the other way, and as Moses said in the dedicate in the Old Testament and the, and the dedicate, there's only there's only two paths in life: mm -hmm. the path of life and the path of mm -hmm. death. In this life, you can always go to one or the other, but as we traverse further and further, they diverge more and more in our lives, mm -hmm. and it becomes more uh, difficult. Well, it's a good it's a good thing to know that we have been given sufficient grace because I think we can be hard on ourselves mm -hmm. that oh I didn't have the formation that I should have I didn't have the opportunities that I should have I didn't have the graces that I I could have I didn't know you know and you could be 50 and and think okay well I just didn't know so you know I don't really have a lot of time left or you can say the moment is now right the moment is now where I start to make the right choices it's always now all we have is the mm -hmm. present. The past is gone. The mm -hmm. future doesn't exist. And so the patron saint of, of 
sudden decisions and conversions is, is obviously the good thief on the cross, right? I, I mean, there he was, like, okay, 50, whatever. Like, there he is. He's, he's, he's going to be dead within an hour. And he's, he's like hanging <laughs> yeah. there and he thinks it's, this is it. it's, it's, it's do or die, quite literally. And uh, yeah. so you're, you're always given the grace. And all that really matters at the end of the day is eternity. Everything in this life is just mm-hmm. material for eternity. All the decisions. I have a great story about the thief. <laughs> <laughs> when Noah was a little guy, when Noah was a little guy, we're praying the rosary one night and he's looking at the crucifix and he ponder, he's pondering and he goes, Mom, is this Jesus or one of the thieves? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's some ways it's, it's both. <laughs> Oh, well, that is a good topic. We should probably wrap up there, although it feels like we could talk about this for the rest of the night. We, we could, you know. I'm hoping that we can, uh, we can get you on occasionally as a regular thing, uh, just to explore some of these big, 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 big terms, you know, big questions. Well, be, yeah, whatever is amenable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely delightful. You're welcome. Okay. God bless, Paul. Jump Thank you. Okay, bless bye. and peace to everybody.